If you have your Bibles, turn to the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8. And if you don't have your Bibles, there's a Bible on the Nova Community Church app and at novachurch.org are the sermon notes and most of the scriptures are right there in those sermon notes. I know. You know, I, I know Jesus told us not to say anything about this. But I can't help it, and I know you're not going to tell anybody. If I can't tell you a secret, who can I tell, anyways? It's true, though. She's fine. I mean, she's healed. And they thought she was dead. And I know you were worried about that too because yesterday, you remember yesterday? I know you've never seen me like that before. I know you've heard me say, senior leaders never crack. We never lose our faith. We have to have the strongest faith in the whole synagogue. And I admit I was a mess. But she's my only daughter. When she couldn't get out of bed, she was so weak and I, I picked her up. She was like a rag doll. She was so limp. The doctors had no idea. Every remedy we gave her didn't work. And I'll admit this to you, and to you only. I ran out of faith. I ran out of all my prayers. You and I, we've heard of those outrageous claims that he has. Not just his claims, but his kindness and his compassion, his healing, his way. And I was at the end of my rope. I had no other place to go. It's my beautiful daughter. I had no other way. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because... His only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. And they all denied it. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Everyone's touching you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could go, not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him 
and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I, I couldn't believe the crowds. I mean, I, I went around on the side. I wanted Jesus to follow me, but he just he went straight into the crowds, and everyone, everyone wanted a piece of him. And then that woman, that woman, I remember her. I think you do too. She got sick right around the time that my baby girl was born. We haven't seen her in 12 years. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. I'm still not sure why he said for us not to tell anyone. Yeah, she's still okay. She's acting like a 12-year-old. She wants to eat everything in the house. She wants to go to her friends this afternoon. I guess we need to start planning for that big celebration because she's going to be 13 soon enough. We're in a new series entitled Walk This Way. And in this series, our hope is that the Spirit of God will lead us not just in the truth of Jesus, but in the way he walked, how he teaches us to walk this way. And we'll examine the way Jesus lived and the way Jesus loved. And today we'll talk about the unhurried pace at which Jesus calls us to walk. I think one of the good things that's come out of this pandemic is that the awareness of the pace at which we live our lives, in the pace in which we do church ministry. I don't know about you, but strange things happen to me when I have too many things to do and when I'm in a rush. A few months ago, I was going to Hume Lake Christian Camp, and I was going to speak to a group of pastors and and it was right after a Sunday, I was going to go and, um, and stay overnight in Visalia, and then so I could make it to Hume Lake early in the morning. Right after I preached on a Sunday, the night before, I packed my bag and packed the car. I was getting ready to go, and after the last amen of the benediction, I got in my car and went home, changed my clothes. I was going to spend 
uh, some time with a church planter and his family in Bakersfield. He just planted a church there. I just wanted to check in with them, have lunch with them at their house. And so I got in my car, drove out to Bakersfield, and they were going to order lunch in at their house. And I made sure I had my wallet as I got out of my car in front of their house to pay for lunch, and I checked my back pocket, and guess what? I, th- I didn't have my wallet. So I looked in the car, kind of searched around the glove compartment in that console thing, no wallet. Well, I'm going to be gone for about four days, so what am I going to do? I call my wife, and she's having lunch with Connie, and they said, we'll drive out to Bakersfield. You know, it'll be a two-hour drive, but it'll be okay. We'll bring you your wallet. And I said, you know what? I've got some money. I had some cash in my backpack for some reason. God knew, I guess. And then I have Apple Pay, which I've never used before, and that was going to be an adventure. And so I had lunch, and, and the church planter guy says, hey, I've got some cash I can give you. And you know, he's a church planter. He doesn't have much money. Anyways, I said, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to... So I get to the um, hotel in Visalia, already been paid for. I got my dinner. I got my breakfast in the morning. I made it out to Hume Lake, and I survived the whole trip without a wallet. Didn't get pulled over by the law enforcement officers. Uh, tried to stay within the speed limits. Everything was all right. And then last week, uh, our staff is going to a conference in Vista in northeastern San Diego County. And so we take all the staff and some youth leaders, Laura and Kaylin was with us, and it was going to be a really great time. But I had to go early to set something up over there. And so they were going to leave a little later. I was going to leave early in the morning. I wanted to get there fast. I packed my bag. I had my backpack, and I had a cup of coffee because it was going to be an hour and a half drive. I was going to drink coffee, listen to some podcasts. So I got my backpack and coffee, and I said, I'll, I'll come back and get that suitcase. I get in my car, set my coffee down my backpack, I tune in my podcast, and I'm thinking, I'm good to go. Start the car, and I take off. I get to Vista, I open the trunk to look for my suitcase. I call my wife, and I said, I think I left the suitcase in the living room floor. And by the way, I don't think I locked the front door. (laughs) She had to go from work and go home, and I, I survived. I survived. I, it was sort of like I MacGyvered the whole thing. I, I went to Target, bought some socks and some underwear and a toothbrush and contact lens solution and whatever else I needed. But I made it. It was okay. But strange things happen to me when I'm in a hurry and I'm stressed and I have something to do. You know, it's just sort of like us. It happens to us too. Little by little, barely noticeable at first. We do a little bit more in our life, and then we do a little bit more, and then we do a little bit more. And little by little, you know, we're highly capable people, and so that little bit more that we do, we sort of put it in our regular life, and we're so efficient, and we do a little bit more, and we're highly capable, and one day, though, we wake up, and it's just, we realize it's just too much. You know, we get a job, we work it hard. We kind of master that, and so we think, yeah, I'm going to do a little side hustle. So you get another little job on the side. And then you say, you know what, I want to advance in my career, so you take an online class. And then we make some new friends, maybe. Start dating somebody. Get in a serious relationship. Before you know it, you're engaged, you're married, and then a baby comes. And then there's diapers in preschool. Maybe more diapers after another baby. 
extra activities. There's sports, there's music, there's art, there's dance, there's coding class. We save money to move into a good neighborhood with highly rated schools. We get braces, or someone gets braces, and then you get more debt, and you get a second job, and it just goes on and on and on. Our choices start to pile up, and layer by layer, it just starts to get to us. And we wake up one day, and we start to feel very overwhelmed. How many of you would admit that you often feel a little bit rushed? How many of you would admit that you often feel a little bit anxious? And we start to think, we go in the grocery store and we have a cart, and you start to, you're ready to check out, but you start to assess the lines that are in front of you, right? By how many people are in line, of course, but how many items are in that grocery cart? And that guy's got a lot of stuff in his cart, but they're big items like toilet paper and paper towels. He's only got a few of them, so that's the line to go in. And the checker, the one that looks like they're very experienced and they're going really fast. And then, But there's that guy that wants to bag every piece of his groceries in his own bags, and you start to assess which line is better. Or you pull up to a stoplight, and there's two or three lanes there, and you think, I don't want to get behind that Amazon delivery truck. That thing's going slow, right? And then there's some, some smaller, faster cars there. And so you start to jockey your position to see how you can get ahead. Or TMI maybe, but how many of you multitask in the bathroom? Right? Occasionally, are you ever disappointed with the way your life is going? Do you have time in your life to do what you really want to do? What you love to do? Do you have time in your life to spend time with people that you love? As I'm kind of walking through life or rushing through life, is it really supposed to be this way? And what if, let me just ask this question, what if the greatest enemy to your life that you desire is the life that you're living? And yet some Christians think a different way. Some Christians will think, you know what? The devil never takes a day off, so neither will I. Or, hey, get to work and serve the Lord now. You'll rest when you get to heaven. Wow, I don't want to be a part of that church. I want to make some observations as we look at this message today. And it's observations from the unhurried life. Number one, in your notes here is, Jesus was active, but he never ran. You ever think about that? He was busy, but he never ran. When you read the gospel accounts in the Bible, you take a step back and you observe the way Jesus walked through life. He had three years of public ministry on earth. Yes, that's just three years. Jesus embraced the Father's mission. He recruited a team of ordinary people. He developed that team to understand kingdom values. He endured prideful and angry religious leaders. He resisted the temptation of the devil. He healed sick people. He loved the hurt and outcast. He preached the word of God fearlessly. And he fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies in three years and jesus was never in a hurry there was there was never a record anywhere in the scriptures that jesus was running 
fast walking or jogging at all. Take a look at Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was, say it with me, walking, walking beside the Sea of Galilee. What did he do? He saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew, and he said, follow me. And at once they left their fishing nets aside and they went to follow Jesus. Mark chapter 2. As he walked along, he saw Levi, and he said, follow me. And at once, Levi left what he was doing to follow Jesus. And if Peter and Andrew from Mark, Matthew chapter 4 and Levi from Mark chapter 2 were following Jesus, they too would have walked the way he walked for three years, unhurried and unrushed. Theologian Kosuke Koyama, who wrote the book, Three Mile an Hour God, he said this, Love has its speed. It's a spiritual speed. It is a different kind of speed to which we are accustomed. He goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice it or not, at three miles an hour. It's the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. You see, Jesus lived this unhurried life. Number two in observations is if Jesus lived an unrushed life, we should follow him unrushed. So if you're exhausted today and you're in a hurry, Jesus, Jesus invites you to walk this way. He says to come to those who are tired and worn out and burdened, and I'll give you rest. In your sermon notes, you're going to find Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30, from a version of the Bible called The Message. Now, this is not a word-for-word translation of the scriptures. It's a devotional translation by Eugene Peterson. It has great impact in my life. Let me read this to you. It's fresh from Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. And then Jesus says, walk with me. He doesn't say run with me, hurry with me. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And every time I read that, that sentence, I, in my mind, I'm wondering, what is that? I don't know what that is. Learn the unforced rhythms rhythms of grace i won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly jesus says walk with me watch how i walk watch how i love and i i hope you're compelled to believe the truth that jesus taught and i hope that you were equally compelled to walk the way Jesus walked. And think about the way Jesus lived. He only lived 33 years on earth. His public ministry was only three years, and his mission was to give his life. You see, Jesus was baptized into public ministry when he was 30 years old, 
And the Father affirms him, and we read that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And then he goes to the wilderness to fast and to pray and to prepare for ministry. He fights off the enemy, the angels attend to him, and he's ready to work. And Jesus starts to recruit and to build and develop his leadership team, the disciples. What is the first thing he does when he builds that team? He goes to a wedding celebration. He doesn't go to that wedding celebration to sort of big time everyone like, hey, look at me, I'm the son of God right here. He's a fellow guest. He doesn't just show up and bounce early. He stays to the very end. And when the wine ran out at the reception, he wanted that party to go longer. And so he turned that water into wine. And he said, let's just keep celebrating this. You know, when Jairus falls to his knees, begging Jesus to heal his daughter, and Jesus agrees, and, and Jairus, Jairus, he kind of skirts the outside of the crowd in my mind. And Jesus is there, and he wades right into that crowd. Jairus is in this big hurry, because his daughter's sick, and Jesus is walking. People are pushing and touching Jesus, wanting to get a piece of him. And then Jesus stops, and Jairus is probably on the outside, his arms crossed and tapping his feet, right? Let's go! And Jesus says, who touched me? Peter says, Lord, everyone's touching you. What are you talking about? Who touched me? Everyone would touch you. And Jesus says, I know, but someone touched me. And I know that because the power left me. And this woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years is trembling. And she steps forward. And Jesus says, daughter, he calls her daughter. Your faith has made you well. You see, in that day, if you were a woman and you were thought to be unclean, no one would, would be near you. You could get no job. You could get no food. You would have no home. She was just an outcast and homeless. And Jesus calls this woman, who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years, daughter, and he heals her. Then Jairus is on the outskirts of this crowd trying to be calm because he's got this 12-year-old daughter at home who also needs healing. And Jesus is unrushed. Even when Jairus gets the news that it's too late, that his daughter's dead, Jesus is not rushing. So why should we? Number three on observations here is most of us are either running from something or running to something. Now, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychologist. My good friend is. And we were on vacation a few months ago and we're just sitting by the beach and we're just talking about life. And he pulls this one out. He says, you know what? All of us are either running from something or running to something. And for me, my psychologist friend asks me, what about you? I'm just trying to be on vacation, sitting on a beach, right? And he says, what about you? What are you running from? What are you running to? And I told him, I'm usually running. I run hard from insecurity. And I'm always running towards my own significance. And some of you are running from neglect. And some of you are running from loneliness. 
And some of you are running from abandonment and hurt. Some of you are running from intimacy. And some of you are running toward popularity and success and significance. But the real question, I think, is are you chasing after a life that will still leave you empty after you think you found it? What if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living right now? Observation number four is you have time for what you choose to have time for. You have time in your life for what you choose to have time for. The solution is not more time. The solution is, is more of what matters most. And the reason that most of us don't have time for what matters most is that we're mindlessly spending time on what doesn't matter in our life. Let me just give you three statistics on three time-sucking things that are in your life. The first is social media, the second is TV, and the third is video games. And some of you are acting really smug right now. It's like, ah, I don't play video games, you know, but you probably do one of these three. In social media, did you know that the average person on social media spends an average of 706 hours per year? The good news is that that you're younger, you spend more time than 706. That's 4.5 months of working hours in a year that you spend on social media. With television, we spend 2,700 hours a year binge-watching the latest version of those most popular shows or sports. Video games. My games in the day were Pac-Man, Ms. Pac-Man, Donkey Kong, Frogger. Remember Frogger? And I think it was called Galaga. Is that what it's called? Galaga? You're too young to know that. You don't, you don't know that. It's, those, are my, those are my games. And I, it's hard to find those these days. The average male. Sorry, guys. The average male spends 10,000 hours playing video games before they turn 21. At $10 an hour, you can do the math. $100,000. You could read 2,000 books in that time. You can get your undergraduate degree and your graduate degree in that time that you spend. Now, what happens if the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living right now? And this is where we're at right now. And I hope you're thinking, what do I do? How can I do something about this, but I just say, let's get to the basics of it all. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 that there is a greatest commandment, and it's basic. It's love. It's God is love, and we're to love him. Love the Lord your God. It's basic. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the first and the greatest commandment, and the second is like this. To love your neighbor as yourself. 
John Mark Comer in his book says, love is incompatible with hurry. I've got to stop and think about that for a while. Love is incompatible with hurry. And the Apostle Paul writes in perhaps some of the greatest words about love in all of the scripture <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In verse 4, he starts with the words, love is patient. It's patient. Love takes time. Hurry doesn't have time. Craig Rochelle put together this prayer that's in your notes. And it's just one sentence. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. God, help me to walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Now I want to challenge you, all of you, I want to challenge you to pray this prayer every day for the next seven days. That you would just pray this prayer for the next seven days, every day for the next seven days. If you want to pray it multiple times, that's up to you. But I challenge you to pray this prayer every day for the next seven days. This prayer that's in your notes, it's, it's on your app, it's, it's right here. Would you say it out loud with me? Would you, would you pray this prayer out loud with me? And we can take care of today if you think you're going to forget later on. Let's pray this out loud together. I'll, I'll lead us. Ready? God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. Let's, let's do that again. Ready? God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. And as we pray that prayer for the next seven days, I wonder how Jesus is going to change your life. And what you may experience as God heals and works deeply in you are three things. The first is that you'll be more present in the moment and more patient and that you would listen more. You would talk less and that you would listen more and that you would be physically present with the people that are in front of you in the moment. Not just physically present, but if you really think about this and you pray that prayer, you'll be emotionally present. How many of you have ever been physically present with someone, but emotionally somewhere else? And you'll be relationally present with them. Someone that you love is in front of you, and you're physically present, but relationally you'll be thinking how much you love this person and spiritually present with them, that perhaps you can be with them and that you could be thinking and talking about God and how he's affected your life. You'll be more present in the moment. Second thing is you'll choose what's important and eliminate what's not. You'll walk slower through the crowds of people and you'll say no to good things for now. You don't have to say no to good things forever, but it's no to good things for now and you'll say yes to the better in your life. And the way that you can experience this unhurried life, the third thing is that you'll know God's presence more. You'll recognize God's leading in following him as you are present in that moment, praying with people and, 
and hanging out with people, and you'll know God's presence better. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and to love people deeply. The last thing I want to share with you before we partake in the Lord's Supper, number five, fifth observation is Jesus was always walking toward the cross. Day after day, moment by moment, Jesus was always walking towards something, and that was the cross. And for Jesus, the deepest, most profound moment in his life was for you. He was going to the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 16, it says, Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, and there they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. John 14, verse 5 says, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. We embrace the truth of Jesus, but we also embrace the way that he loved and the way that he walked. And as Jesus calls us to walk this way, we become more like him.